in Acts chapter 9. chapter 9. So last time I was here, right before we read this morning, Acts chapter 9, if you all stand with us. Um, we, we, we visited with y'all during the revival with Brother Spears, and uh, your pastor introduced us as Pleasant Valley Ridge Salton Baptist Church. Well, he got my name right this morning, and I see that because my card's up here. It has Long Ridge Baptist Church. That's where we're from. So I'm good to be here at Witten something, person, place, or thing church with you. So Acts chapter 9, we'll be reading verses 20 through 25. Scripture says, And straightway or immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. That's Paul. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, and the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Help me to preach what you have for us. Father, thank you for the sweet spirit of Jesus Christ and his great love in this place here this morning. Father, help me to say what you would have me to say and nothing more. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and amen. You may be seated. So glad to be with you here this morning. Uh, by way of introduction, this, this chapter uh, that gives us the account of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. There is so much in the book of Acts that speaks about that event. Uh, it's in the 22nd chapter of Acts, and when he gives it to the Jewish leaders. It's in the 26th chapter of Acts, when he tells some Roman authorities. And then we also read of his actual account uh, prior to our lesson here this morning. So three accounts of this conversion, three accounts of the salvation of the Apostle Paul. No other conversion in Scripture gives such detail. No other conversion in Scripture gives so many different viewpoints uh, of his conversion. This is a powerful story of a one person's uh, salvation, a man who came to author 13 books of the New Testament, who dominates the gospel in going into the world and missions in the book of Acts. He has a remarkable life. And there is not one single word you say about the, that you could say about the significance or about the importance of Paul's conversion. I don't even think Paul knew the magnitude of his salvation. I don't even think Paul or any of the disciples had even a blip on the radar of what was going to come about in Paul's life. Before he encountered Christ on the Damascus Road, he was warring against Christ. He was the leader of the persecution of the church, basically being led by Satan against, uh, against the, what they viewed as a false religion of lies and deceptions against Judaism, fighting the battle. Uh, 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 he comes to salvation. He fought, now fights the battle uh, to save sinners from that very same religion. And so before his conversion, we read here his name is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. 
We know his background. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a student of Gamaliel, the leader of the Sanhedrin. He was a student of the best rabbi. He knew all the Jewish traditions. A man literally wound so tight in Judaism, had such a passionate desire uh, for Judaism and the hopes and the expectations of Israel, the nation. And he saw Christianity and the gospel as a direct threat to his uh, understanding of Scripture. He was horrified at the thought that Jesus, who claims to be the Messiah, uh, was, uh, and everybody that associated with him, he was going to put them in prison, he was going to beat them, he was going to execute them, and literally, Scripture says, destroy it. Now, when Scripture says destroy, he doesn't just mean that he was wanting to kill. Yes, that was part of it. It just doesn't mean he wanted to lock up. Yes, that was part of it. He wanted to literally eradicate it from the history books, destroy any mention or talk about it, as almost if it never happened. That was Paul's purpose against the church. He was the one in charge of the stoning of Stephen. As you read in Acts chapter 7, the people there were stoning Stephen. Stephen gives this great, beautiful message uh, all throughout the Old Testament of trying to lead his uh, fellow Israelites, the fellow Jews, to Christ and show them that the Scripture was always pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And at the end of his sermon, they begin to stone Stephen. Scripture says that all the people there were so angry and so uh, uh, furious that they literally took their garments off because they wanted to get a big wind-up. They wanted to get the biggest rocks they could to take care of Stephen. Scripture says they took off their cloaks and and, uh, they took them and they laid them at Saul's feet. Saul's the one orchestrating. Saul's the one they're pushing for. Saul's the one they're wanting to make sure that he did not get up from that stoning. And so he literally wanted to destroy, make it so uh, known that if you talk about Jesus as the Messiah, if you even mention it or even think you're associated with it, we're going to take care of you. That's how Paul was so uh, uh, persecuting into the church. Then one day, The history of the world changed. And listen, you and I are sitting here today because of the Apostle Paul. One day, the history of the world changed because one person, one man was changed. One heart that was so hard and so stoned and so callous, the light of the glorious gospel pierced through that, broke it up and gave him a new heart. This is the Christ This is the follower. His heart went from anger to love. Went from hatred to compassion. So back in the earlier in this, in verse number four, Saul, this glorious light from heaven shines down. And verse four says, he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul was really afraid at that point. He was heading to Damascus to persecute the church. He was heading there to destroy any mention, wipe literally the history of the church off the map. That was his purpose. And so he goes to, and he, uh, this great light comes. We know the story. Uh, this great light comes, and he, it's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him, and, and Jesus asks him, why are you persecuting me? And, and uh, the Lord tells him, well, he's going to go, and he's going to meet a man named Ananias. He's blinded by this light. Saul is. He's going to go meet Ananias. And, of course, uh, Paul goes, and he meets up with Ananias, and Ananias is like, oh, come right on in, Brother Paul. Ananias is a Christian. 
But the Lord spoke and he said that these two were to meet together. Now Ananias probably thought, this isn't a good idea, Lord. This, isn't a guy, this is the guy who wants to destroy the church. But Ananias took him in. Ananias took him in. After three days, Scripture says, Paul was given his sight back and he received the Holy Ghost, meaning he, that he was saved and then he was baptized. He ate some, got his strength back. And after several days, we pick up the story in verse number 20, what we read. Verse 20 says, And right away, straightway, immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues. Now, I didn't say he went off to seminary school. Didn't say he sat back and had to sit under some Christian apostles or disciples in teaching. It said that immediately, straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues. Saul's conversion was so radical, was so immediate, that he goes from persecuting Christians to preaching the gospel. What a testimony. And Scripture says... That he not only was teaching and preaching in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. It says, verse 21, But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not that he destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? This is that same Paul with that same passion and that same um, zeal and that same wound tightness that he had that he was going to persecute that now he begins immediately to preach. Well, why? He's a new convert. He can't possibly understand all the things of Christ. What's he got to say? Well, what can he say? But understand, this was Saul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the one who sat underneath the Sanhedrin, the best rabbi teaching you could have. He's highly educated. He's an elite noble Pharisee. This is someone who sat at the feet of the most outstanding teachers in the world at the time. He mastered the arguments against Christ. Guess what he had to do? Just flip the script. He knew what to say to argue against, which means he knew what to say to argue for. Listen, so many times we give the excuse as Christians, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to witness. I don't know how to testify. I don't know how to give my... Well, guess what? When you were lost and you were thinking, I don't want to be saved. Ah, there really can't be a God and, and all these things. Listen, you have the knowledge to share the gospel. Just flip the script. Flip the script. Paul understands that because he's argued against it so much. He fought against it so much. Now his view is totally reversed. Now I'm going to admit something to you. I was born and raised Pentecostal. You saw me up here tapping my toe while I was playing the music. That's my Pentecostal coming out of me. You're lucky I didn't run around the church this morning. When I surrendered the call to preach, and I began to study, I began to look for our doctrine of the Pentecostal church in the Bible. I could not find it. Loss of salvation, having these spiritual gifts, all these things that were being done in the church, I could not find it how it was being done in the church. So I became Baptist, not because I inherited it. I became Baptist because I studied God's Word, and I believe the Baptist uh, theology is the closest to what the Bible teaches. And so I now have an argument against those that are heir in the Pentecostal faith. I now have fought and, and said, this is my heritage, this is my family, this is how I grew up. My, my great-grandfather was saved. He come from Hazard, Kentucky, down in, in Perry County, down in the mountains there. And, and he come, and he's the first one to get saved in our family in a Pentecostal church. And I believe he was saved, by the way. 
And then my father gets saved in the Pentecostal church, but they err in their doctrine. And when I try to study, when I try to understand, I come to the truth of God's word about those certain things, and now I can argue against it. I flip the script. That is Saul. That is Paul. This, he's in Damascus, and that's where, where many synagogues. He went to many of them. That's why it has an S in it, it says there in uh, verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. He didn't go to just one. He didn't just go to the one in the corner. He didn't want to go to the biggest one. He went to many synagogues. There were many Jews in Damascus, therefore many synagogues. And it was those synagogues, listen, it was those very same synagogues that sent the request to Jerusalem to send their strongest anti-church, their strongest anti-Jesus, their strongest persecutor. We need someone to come and eradicate this gospel in Damascus. Send the best guy. It was those synagogues that wrote to Jerusalem. And that same man, Saul, who came to persecute the church to show up at those synagogues and say, I'm that guy, I'm here to tear down the church. It was that guy that shows up and says, I need to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it says in verse 20 or 21 says, but all that heard him were amazed and said, is this not he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came here, hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? Hmm. Now, what did he say to get them to say this? He proclaimed Jesus as the son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God. Jesus is one with God. And, and uh, uh, we see that here as he begins to preach this. And Saul's preaching this same message and, and the sermon. Uh, the, how is it going for him? Look at the verse 22. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. How do you prove that Jesus is the Messiah? How do you prove it? You go to the Word. They didn't have the New Testament. How do you prove it? He was a noble, elite Pharisee. That's what his entire job was. To know the Old Testament. To know the Scripture. So all he had to do was reflect on all those things where he was trying to prove that Jesus isn't the Christ. He was studying His Word knowing that, hey, now I understand it now. The light of the Gospel now makes sense. I always believed this, this, and this, and this. Jesus comes along and He fills in the gaps, and now He's able to articulate. He's able to preach, and all He had to do was flip the script. Now this is how you evangelize. You evangelize by proving that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You give them the gospel. You prove that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Lord, the Christ, the Savior. And verse 21 says they were all amazed. What happened to this guy? What happened to this man? They're shocked. There's this sudden transformation. And notice the word destroyed there in verse 21. Is this not he that destroyed them which called on this name? He was successful at persecuting the church. He was successful at persecuting Christians. And he illustrates really what should happen to all of us. We have a new master. We have a new life. We have a new family. We have a new mission. We have a new message. We have a new power. And then that leads us to another obvious thing. A new enemy. Look at verse 23. 
And after that, many days were fulfilled that the Jews took counsel to kill him. The very same ones that asked for his help to destroy the church where they were were the ones that flipped the script themselves and said, we're going to destroy Paul also. The Jews plotted together to do away with him. Does that sound familiar? That sound like what they did to Christ? We read over and over in the Gospels, they plotted against him. And it, it, it infuriated him anymore. And they, they come together with the Herodians. They went to the political crowd. They went to the enemies, the ones they didn't even get along with, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they plotted against to destroy. You'll find that word in the New Testament Gospels as well. Destroy Christ. Listen, when you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you'll have an enemy. And that enemy, if you're doing anything for the case of Christ will plot to destroy you. He will plot to destroy you. That's why I don't understand some of the teaching that goes on today. And I come from that uh, understanding as a young man about health, wealth, and, and prosperity gospel, that if you get saved, man, God's just going to bless you. Just get the good in and get the bad out. Send me $100 and God bless you. I don't find that anywhere in the gospel. Matter of fact, it says in verse 23, and they plotted to kill him. Not after many days, according to Jewish understanding, it could have been a period of up to three years, it says there. Verse 23. And after there, many days, Scripture says, most people believe is about three years. Go to Galatians chapter 1 for a moment. Keep your place here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 through 19. Paul writes there, while he's in Galatia, Galatians 1, 15 through 19, Paul writes, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, born of water, and called me by his grace, born of the Spirit, meaning when he got saved, verse 16, to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, that means people, neither when I went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But the other apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. So in that little phrase back in Acts chapter 9 says, and after many days, that was three years. So he gets saved. He starts preaching in the synagogues. He's going over and he's giving the gospel in many places, the same places he was coming to destroy. He gives the gospel and they plot to kill him. He understands this and he, he skips out of town and he goes to Arabia for three years. We just read in Galatians, his own testimony said he never saw an apostle, never saw a disciple, never sat under any teaching. What was going on there? The Lord was ministering to him. The Lord was ministering. Look at verse 23 back in our text. After many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Verse 24, but their laying hands await was known of Saul. So here he comes. He's in Arabia for these three years, and he comes back to Damascus. He's back in Damascus, he, he writes there in Galatians. And so um, he, he's back, and he's, he's talking about this plot to kill him in verse 26. But three years have gone by, and what went on during that time? Again, he was in Arabia, receiving revelation from the Lord. That's what he says in Galatians 1, I didn't get it from flesh and blood. God was ministering to the mind of the Apostle Paul. And why did the Jews plot to kill him? Because when he came back, guess what Paul was doing again? He just left the place that wanted to kill him. 
He goes and he gets ministered by the Lord and he comes back to the same place and continues to do the same thing that he had to get run off for the first time. He begins preaching again. The word gets out, verse 24, and they laid wait, knowing of Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. They didn't want him to get out of the city again. They didn't want him to get away again. They wanted to kill him. So they watched the gate 24-7. Look what it says about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 beginning verse 32 and 33. If you want, I'll just read. 2 Corinthians eleven thirty-two 32 says, In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison. That's a troops stationed as posts there. And he kept them desirous to apprehend me, Paul says. And through a window in a basket was I let down by wall and escaped his hands. Saul had been out of town for three years. I believe that he had irritated the king. He had irritated him because he's preaching the gospel. He had irritated him because he's causing controversy. He irritated him because he was being an effective preacher. How do you be an effective preacher? You irritate the king. How do you irritate the king? You give them the gospel. You don't water it down. You don't change the words. You don't make it appeasing to the flesh. You preach the gospel for what it is. And it irritates. It rubs raw. It goes against the grain because it's not what the flesh wants to hear. And everywhere he went, he made enemies. Verse 25, Brother, Gall, Brother Gary, you're making the gospel and being a preacher sound pretty rough. Look at verse 25 in our text. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. The disciples let him down by night. Why at night? Cover. Hiding. They lowered him down with a rope. The end of that rope was this large basket. Ancient cities were surrounded by high walls. You ever watch old movies or anything depicting the Middle East of that time? You would see cities that have large stone walls. They'd be very thick. And inside those thick walls, so far up, you'd see these different windows. And if you see them at night, you would see light glowing out of them. Uh, people's houses were built into these walls around these cities. And so here is this probably someone's home or, or, or probably a, a dwelling place there. There's this window, and they figure that's the best way to get out because the garrison, the troop, the enemy is there waiting. They're seeking. They've got a bolo out on him. Be on the lookout. They've got an APB out. They're looking for this man. They want to destroy him. They're roaming the streets. They're kicking down doors. They're waiting at the gate. They don't want Paul to get out. Why? He's preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. Look at verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Now, imagine being a Christian back then. Saul, the persecutor of Christians, has this transformation, and we're supposed to believe that. If that don't sound like Christians, I don't know what does. You're a preacher, brother? <laughs> I know where you grew up. I'm not, I don't mean him particularly. Maybe I do, but I'm not going to tell him. They were afraid of him. Remember what I told you when the persecution broke out in the city of Jerusalem? It says that believers were scattered everywhere. 
but not the apostles. The apostles stayed behind. Acts chapter 1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at the time there was the great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. He wants to meet the apostles. That's what Saul's purpose is. He wants to particularly meet Peter. He tries over and over again, and they refuse to meet him over and over again because they were afraid of him. They didn't know what had gone on for those three years that he was in Arabia. Verse 27 finally gets to meet him, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. How did they know he was a true Christian? His testimony. He preached boldly to the very ones who were there on his side at one point. They then become his enemy. He preached to the very ones that he was in the crowd with. He's in the crowd of persecutors. He's in the crowd of false teaching. He gets saved. He steps out of that, and he turns back to the crowd and begins to preach to the very same people he was in with. Are you following me this morning? Over and over again, he would preach, and people were still afraid of him. But his testimony and the friend of, of them, Barnabas, finally gets them to meet. So here's the point of our message this morning. Saul, this new convert, this Hebrew of Hebrews, this once leader of the persecuting church, is now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews are confused. The Christians are confused. Everybody's confused. Everybody wants to kill him. Everybody's afraid of him. It's a tough place for Paul to be in. The Christians didn't trust him. They tried to stay away from him, and yet Saul needs to escape. Saul needs to escape. Why? Because God's got a purpose for Saul's life. God's got a purpose for Saul's life. That is so important to understand. And listen, this includes the church. I want you to listen carefully. The disciples had no idea who they were holding in that basket. No idea. They had no, known he was a preacher. They knew he'd recently been converted to faith. But there was no way in their wildest dreams or imaginations they could understand the impact Paul was going to have. All they knew is they had this man who was persecuting the church that needed to get out of the city. Now he's a Christian and help him get out. That's all they knew. And they themselves were scared of him. They didn't know that he would become the first missionary. They didn't know he would become the first one to sail the seas to the Roman Empire, to the Gentiles, to the heathen, to preach the gospel. He didn't know that they would shake and literally turn the world upside down with his letters to these churches. They didn't know that he would plant many Gentile churches. They didn't know that he would be the writer of 13 of the inspired books of our Bible. They didn't know that he was going to be a tremendous preacher and a godly man. See, you never know who is going to be in the basket. That idea is an incentive for all of us to be faithful that idea is an incentive for you to do your best. Listen, all they knew is that he needed some help. All they had to do, let me get this underneath you, brother. All he had to do, you can't bend over. I got you, was escape. And they let him down the wall in a basket. And attached to that basket was a rope. And all they had to do, that was, this is it. 
All they had to do was hold the rope. That's it. They just had to hold the rope. They had to let, help a man escape by holding a rope. You get verses like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because someone held a rope. Why do you get the letters that we get to the church for correction and understanding? Because someone held a rope. You get 2 Corinthians 12.9. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for me. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly will I therefore glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because someone held a rope. Brother Gary, we're just little old wind place Baptists. Hold the rope. We may not amount to any, We're not winning thousands of people. Hold the rope. You don't know what's in store. You don't know what God's plan is for this church. You don't know exactly what God's plan is for your life. But you know what is in God's plan, what is in God's will? For you to hold the rope. This is an incredible moment in the history of the church, other followers of Jesus, other disciples doing something so simple. And listen, their names are not recorded. It doesn't say, and Brother Joe Smith helped hold the rope, and Sister Tammy Clarence held the rope. No, it says, 25, Then the disciples, those are the followers of Jesus, took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Listen, it's not about titles. It's not about the significance of the ministry you have. It's not about being the preacher. It's not about being a Sunday school teacher. It's not about playing the piano. It's not about leading the music. It's not about being just a pew sitter. What it's about is collectively we come together as the body of Christ and we support the leader in that ministry and we, we tie a rope around him and we, we tie him up and we say, we, we don't know what God has in store. We don't know the plans that we have for him, but, but we're going to sit here and we're going to hold the rope. And the preacher is nothing significant. He's just the head of the church. That's it. It's just the name. It's just the title. The moment that, like God forbid, someone passes on as a preacher, he's replaced. Are you following me? The idea is about holding the rope. And yes, it has far, eternal, everlasting reach. 2,000 years later, we're sitting in the city of Cincinnati because these disciples let down the apostle Paul in a basket. We are the result of these Christians. We are the result of these disciples. The Lord may tarry for another 100 years. You don't know what this ministry will bless. You don't know who will walk through those doors. You don't know what the outreach from this association of, uh, of churches here, what, what the kind of reach or impact they'll have. You can't see down to next week. You can't see into tomorrow. But you know what you can see? You can see the rope. We may dwindle in numbers. There may, you may have to build a new building. You may have to move locations. And yet the doors may close. And you know what depicts that? How many people are holding the rope? How many people are holding the rope? The people holding the rope are just as important, if not more, than the one going down in the basket. Because if those disciples said, not my job, I'm too scared of this guy. Nope, I, nope I'm going to go home and watch the Bengals game. We'd have no Paul. 
We'd have no New Testament. We'd have no promises and strengths and encouragement. Holding the rope helps get work done. It's not about who's in the basket. They can't do anything without rope holders. I'm going to give you an illustration. And then I'll be done. I'm going to tie this around my waist. And I'm going to ask Natalie, come here. Sadie, Leah, you guys come here. I'm going to do something. I'm going to stand right here. Little girls, will you stand right up here for me? Hold this rope. Now, I'm going to stand at the top. All of you hold the rope. Hold real tight now. Your daddy's life depends on. Come up here. Close to me. Get closer. Get closer, right? I'm going to lean back. You guys keep me from falling backwards, okay? Pull. Okay. You got me? Whoa. Let me go just a little bit more. Whoa. Silly illustration, right? Can I get a few men up here? A few of you men, would you come? Thank you, ladies. Grab this rope for me. Go ahead and grab that rope there. Listen, this may be silly. Brother Gary, I'm not no teenager. Jesus taught him parables. Listen, I'm going to lean back. I want you to lean me, lean me back. Let me go down, but don't let me fall. You boys got me? You see this? All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank I had you, brother. You're good. Hey, take this down to the end of the aisle there for me. Just keep. So here's what we have, church. Just hold it down there at the end. Preacher, would you come here? Your family, would you come up here? Here's what we have, church. Now, I asked your pastor this morning. That's good. Thank you. I asked your pastor this morning, is there anything you want me to preach about? He said, no, there's nothing particular. You preach what the Lord lays on your mind. I said, okay, I'll have 18 pages of notes. He said, that's fine. So he's not told me anything's going on in the church. There may be nothing going on in the church. But this principle still lasts no matter what. And here's what it is. Family, grab this rope. Pass that rope down. Pass that rope down. Pass that rope down. Here's what we got. This is the leader of your church. I don't, I don't think. This is the leader of your church. He can't do anything unless you're there with him. I promise you, his desire and his family's desire, the sacrifices they make, is for your benefit. I promise you that. I know in the short time I've known this man and his family and his wife, their heart is to bless you. Their heart is to reach people for you. But they can't do anything unless we've got some rope holders. They can't do anything unless they've got some rope holders. Do we have any rope holders in the church this morning? Do we have any rope holders in the church this morning? Do we have any rope holders in the church this morning? Do we have any rope holders in the church this morning? Listen, if you want Winton Place Baptist, 
If you want this to be a reaching ministry, if you want to be an effective cause for Christ, if you want to turn Cincinnati upside down with the gospel, listen, you may not win thousands of souls, but you know what you can do? You can irritate the enemy in the outside. And irritating the enemy is what the gospel calls us to do. We have rope holders in this church. We have rope holders in this church. And that's what church is all about. We come together and we proclaim the gospel and we irritate the enemy. And there's going to be conflict and there's going to be struggle and there's going to be hard times. And we're going to think there's no money in the bank. How can we ever get along? How can we ever do these things? But listen, God promises in his word that we are faithful, that his word does not return void. It may not come back in things that we can see here, but I promise you there'll be an eternal reward in heaven and a blessing that far outweighs anything we could ever receive on this time. Thank you, gentlemen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these disciples willing to hold the rope. Father, in fear, they might get caught. Saul might be an imposter. They may get seen of what's going on and the, the garrison comes in and arrests or maybe kills them all. These disciples that were afraid, that are not even named in the Bible, Lord, held the rope. Father, that's all you ask us to do. We're not all preachers. We're not all ones that are going to be in front of people. But Father, we are rope holders. We can all support the ministry. We can all support our church. We can all support in prayer, in fasting, in giving, in time, in our talents, Father. We can all support the church. So Father, help us Remind us daily we're to hold the rope. It may get heavy. The less people holding, the heavier the rope gets. Father, help us to recruit more help. Help us to lead others to you. For the case of the gospel. Paul gets out of that basket at the bottom, Father, and we receive such glorious revelation. Glorious letters and, and, and corrections of errors and, and, and fine-tuning of our theology because disciples held a rope. Father, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise for all that's said and done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll sing a hymn of invitation.